Welcome to Educated Messes, a podcast to help you sift through the bullshit around work, well-being, and relationships. We'll ask questions, seek answers, and share experiences to help you navigate the messier parts of life. Because trial and error is a lot easier when we do it for you. Hi, I'm Kelsey. I'm Kyla, and today we're talking about why what we think of ourselves matters. I'm excited. I'm so excited, too. I want to address that um, if my sound quality sounds (laughs) impeccable. (laughs) Or just on par with mine. (laughs) Or just finally equal. I needed a fighting chance. (laughs) (laughs) Kyla finally went and bought the same mic as me because she couldn't stand that she thought that mine sounded better than hers. Well, I didn't think it did. Okay, okay. Um, But now it's the same mic. So now if I keep getting these messages about my (laughs) very sultry podcast (laughs) voice, then we'll know it's just, it's me. It's not a mic thing. You know what? I know you're- <laughs> that you're you're still going to get those and I know that it's just cuz you have a great voice but whatever. At least now I know <laughs> an even playing field now. Oh, which is going to make it even worse. Anyways, okay. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> um so jumping right in, I wanted to talk today about limiting beliefs. Um I was looking into this I've been thinking about this a lot lately, kind of how like how you think about yourself and the world kind of shapes your life. So I was looking into that a little further and I found an article from a psychiatrist and Harvard Medical School professor, John Sharp. And that is kind of what I was looking into. That was the best source I could find. So just to define limiting beliefs, they are Deeply ingrained stories we tell about ourselves that are not grounded in reality or truth. Hmm, Okay. So they have to be things that are not accurate. Yeah. I think that's pretty key. Hmm. What if I'm convinced they're accurate though? Well, (laughs) (laughs) what if I'm super sure that my limiting beliefs are true? (laughs) Yeah. We'll get into that. I think this is going to be a good, good workshop. Is there like an objective third party that can tell me? Uh, Maybe, maybe it's Sean Sharp. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Okay. So limiting beliefs often have some degree of catastrophic thinking to them. Um, It might be built on your assumption of what you can't do, what always happens or what never happens. Um, So that's kind of like these beliefs might start, actually, I'll get to this in a second, but they might start with like, I always, da 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 da, I never, like this always happens, this never happens. But does that ring any bells? Are you are you relating to this yet? <laughs> uh, that's, that's not supposed to be a leading question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. Um, <laughs> yes, it'll be interesting though, like as it unfolds, what comes to mind for me in terms of like my versions of those. Mm-hmm. But definitely I know I have a couple that like are on repeat in my head. Yeah. And I'm hoping, I mean, as I was looking into this, I kind of felt like some of my own were coming to the surface a bit. I didn't dig into it too much because I kind of wanted to do it live, but (laughs) we'll see if we get there. (laughs) So risky. So risky. Just a live therapy session. So this type of thinking, I wanted to make a note that it ties in really closely with one of the unhelpful thinking styles. So those are also sometimes called cognitive distortions. Um, And cognitive distortions are a part of um, CBT therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. (laughs) 
<laughs> got it. <laughs> um, and so part of that therapy is recognizing these distortions and reframing them. Um, so I don't know if you have any experience with CBT. I have done a bit of it in the past. Um, I think it's pretty helpful. It ties into mindfulness. There we go. Plug right away. <laughs> <laughs> Just get it over with right in the beginning. <laughs> Everyone should meditate. Okay. Can you um, tell me like what does CBT look like? Like what's the difference between that and like regular run-of-the-mill therapy? Yeah. I think honestly doing a episode on um, unhelpful thinking styles could be interesting. Um, basically it's like there's a bunch of different of unhelpful thinking styles and you the point of cbt is kind of like rewiring your brain to kind of tell different stories about yourself and like see the world in a different way this is hmm. definitely gonna have to go in the fact check but that's like my kind understanding of, of it. like a rewiring sort of yeah and it's kind of like hmm. because the more you think a certain thing the like deeper the neural pathways get and it's easier and easier to think those things so wow. it's kind of like pausing and then like taking a moment to rewire those definitely like fact actual, check me on that yeah yeah, yeah i will <laughs> but like an actual session of that does it like so say you went for a session of cbt does it play out different than like maybe a regular therapy session or would it look really similar so i think it's kind of like it, they give you a lot of tools um okay. i think actually my last therapy session actually did cover this maybe that's why i started thinking about this <laughs> that would make sense um <laughs> So in that case, she gave me an exercise for like when I'm going down um, maybe like a, a spiraling or like unhelpful thinking style-esque mm -hmm. thought. Um, yeah. It was an exercise to kind of like note that, um, write down the – I'll put this in the fact check too – the emotions you're feeling um, and then kind of like rewrite those thoughts. And then, um, yeah, basically it's just like taking a moment – this is we're gonna cover all of this we're just done the podcast now <laughs> sorry <laughs> no 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 taking a moment like slowing down seeing if it's factual or not and then kind of like rewriting that and seeing how you feel afterwards so mm. I don't know I found it pretty helpful I think cool. that we'll kind of get a little deeper into that as I get further in my notes but yeah I think it tied in really well to that okay cool thank you mm, you're welcome so the specific unhelpful thinking style that this relates to, the limiting beliefs, is overgeneralization. <laughs> um, and this is a way of thinking where you apply one experience to all experiences, mm -hmm. including those in the future. Mm. So I'm going to go through a couple examples. I don't know if you want to, like, discuss. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me with them. Okay, so... Examples of limiting beliefs, I am not good enough, I am not in control, there's something wrong with me, I am worthless, I am a failure, I am bad, I am awkward, I am disgusting, I am going to be abandoned. Oh, that's so <laughs> sad. Uh, yeah. Um, interesting. Okay, so some different versions of it where it's not like always the like I'm always this but some just like really heavy overgeneralizations of like maybe regular occurrences yeah I think like if I were to phrase that kind of in like the structure of like I always I never I think mine would be <laughs> we're just gonna go into it um like I'm I never I'm never doing enough or like I'm never mm -hmm. good enough I guess I think would be one of mine that's a plug um, for the produ productivity episode 
Oh, I know. Every time that I do something now that we've talked about, I'm like, I know better. <laughs> I'm only Go back human. And <laughs> yeah. So I think that is a good way to put it is kind of like an overarching story yeah. that you mm-hmm. tell yourself about yourself. Hmm. It's interesting too. I wonder if those, so like, are they pretty rooted in fears in terms of like, the ones that would show up the most strongly to you, I wonder if that's sort of like your core fear. So whether that's like abandonment or uh, the control one for me, like just as like an Enneagram 8 is like very top of mind for me. But something like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not enough or like whatever it is. I just wonder how that ties into like a deeper rooted fear of uh, whatever the end root of that trait is yeah that's actually a good point because if I were to relate that to myself being a six also we need to do an episode on Enneagram because we reference it every single time (laughs) um for context Enneagram is did have we ever even said what it is uh I'm not sure I can yeah, yeah yeah give a quick rundown So Enneagram is essentially like, I mean, if anyone's taken the uh, like Myers-Briggs or like any of those ones, it's very similar. It's like a personality test and like sort of like a spectrum of personalities that you would then associate with. But I would say the test is sort of like the least important part. Like a lot of people test as things that they maybe don't necessarily uh, end up identifying as, but they, there's essentially nine types. And so you are most closely associated with one of those types while also understanding that like you're a unique human being that encompasses lots of all of those things. There's just usually one that sort of sticks the most. And so it goes from one to nine and each Enneagram type has like a whole bunch of different like traits to it and also things like fears and um, you can get super deep into it where it talks about like childhood patterns and like just it's sort of an all-encompassing it's not just like are you an introvert or are you an extrovert it's sort of like what drives you what scares you um, what's really tough for you what comes super easy to you like those types of things but um, but yeah it's really cool it is it's really helped me like I think since taking the Enneagram test, I have gotten to know myself a lot better, mm-hmm. which to me is like the biggest takeaway from it. Um, yeah. What you had mentioned before was um, like how it relates to the core fear and what's the other one? Is it the core desire or core belief or? Yeah, I think it's like the Enneagram, like the psychology of the Enneagram would state that every personality type has a core fear and that core fear drives them. But the fear is something that we defend against with our basic desire. So if someone fears being controlled by others, for example, then their basic desire would be to have freedom. So it's sort of like Mm. they're very interconnected in that way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So tying that back to the limiting beliefs, do you think, and I don't know if you're comfortable, I feel like it might be interesting to kind of talk about it, this from like a place of I, um, mm-hmm. do you feel like you could recognize a limiting belief in yourself, maybe thinking about your Enneagram type? It's interesting because like my Enneagram type with like my thing should be like, I'm, I'm not in control or like, 
things are out of my control, which I guess I do feel that way. But I'm just like wondering how often I feel that way. It, I think it shows up differently where it's like that feels stressful because I would prefer if I could control the situation. Mm. Yeah. But I do think about that a lot. Like I have to remind myself to take a step back sometimes when I'm like, this isn't my situation to control or like I have no control over this and therefore I need to like relinquish attachment to this like thing. Yeah. I feel like if that's something that comes up often for you, the feeling that like, I wish I was in control, then that might be tied back to the limiting belief of I am not in control because mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I, that's not really something I think about too much, but I know that like checking in with myself throughout the day, I'm always thinking like, oh, I'm not doing enough. Yeah. It's interesting for you. I feel like yours as a six should be like fear of lack of support. Yeah. Do you think that's what it is? <laughs> something that has been coming up a lot for me lately that I had a really good, I talk about therapy so much in this podcast, by the way, like, hi, everyone gets to, <laughs> gets to know what I've been talking about. Um, but something that has come up in this kind of tied back to like the good girl syndrome thing that we talked about in last episode is that I have this fear of getting in trouble, which I think might... <laughs> Like, I don't – like, which isn't real. Like, that doesn't exist in yeah. adulthood. So I know. It's just, the word trouble is funny. I know, right? Which, like, yeah. when I got to the root of it, I'm like, I'm scared of getting in trouble? Like, what the, what the hell is that? Like, so I don't know if it's, like – I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. I think that's a limiting belief maybe in that, like, I'm going to get in trouble or, like, I'm doing it things wrong. I think that might be it. It's like I'm doing something wrong. Like, that's something I think about a lot. That makes sense. To me, it sounds sort of like tied to perfectionism. Like I don't want to make a mistake type of thing. Yeah. Fair. Okay. So. <laughs> I mean, it's up to you. <laughs> fair. Okay. That is. Yeah, right. You're That's right. me. You got it. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> if that's what you say, then yes. Yes. Correct. Um <laughs> So I was curious um, how these are formed. Like most things, they usually develop kind of starting back in childhood, but also can develop in response to adverse events that happen, um, I guess, like in adulthood. So if I were tying that back to, honestly, I think that (laughs) I'm going to talk about therapy again. Um, (laughs) I know that the previous job that I had like I developed a lot of what my therapist calls trauma responses to, mm-hmm. to I think just like a workplace environment because it was it was just like very toxic and I think that is where the fear of getting in trouble in like a work scenario came from because mm-hmm. it did exist in that place yeah. which like after getting out of it I was like oh like that's not how things just are. But I think like that is kind of what has made it stronger lately and then definitely the perfectionism thing. But um, yeah, it's interesting to see how things can kind of get like strengthened. Like I think I've always been scared Mm -hmm. of like doing something wrong, but like being solidified in adulthood is like, whew, does a number on you. (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, honestly, like more than even the control thing we were talking about would be more rooted in like vulnerability. And I think to me, that's like, Mm. it's hard for, or like, I can't trust people because 
X, Y, or Z might happen. Like for me, I think it's more of like a fear of um, wrongdoing or disloyalty or something from like friends and etc. Where that to me is a limiting belief of like putting yourself out there because of fear of um, I don't know getting hurt or like just being duped or something. I don't know what that is. Do you think one of your limiting beliefs might be people are going to let me down? (laughs) It's possible. It's about like trust and loyalty, I think. And I think that's sort of like also why it becomes so important to me as a person to like exemplify that behavior because it's just so something that has been such a, a theme in my life where it's like that is very important to me. Mm hmm. And hard to get over because you're right. It gets like solidified over time, whether it's like work stuff, because then it also starts to stand out more. Like for someone else, something might happen and they might just go like, oh yeah, like shit happens or like sometimes people do that. If it's sort of like falling in line again with that already existing thought, I'm probably going, oh no, they did this because of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is like an amazing segue. I love when you do this Um, (laughs) (laughs) to um, how they impact us, how these limiting beliefs impact us in our lives. So this is kind of exactly what you were just saying is they become kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy um, yeah. and it's what we expect from ourselves and others in the future. So I think this would tie into like the negativity bias, how ugh, we're going to need to fact check this, but basically our brains are like three times or whatever amount of times more likely to mm, notice right. negative things versus positive yeah. things. So if this is a belief that you hold, say it's that people are going to let me down then if that happens to you, you're going to notice it way more, hold on to it way more, and then use it as proof that this belief is true, where it's not an objective truth. See, there you go. We tied it back. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay. So this is kind of what we've been doing, but there's a couple steps that were in the article that our boy John wrote, (laughs) the Harvard (laughs) professor. (laughs) So how do you find your limiting beliefs? Um, it, it, this is fully a mindfulness practice. So I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm recruiting people now. (laughs) (laughs) We've reached a second phase. Exactly. Um, so basically what you have to do is practice mindfulness. And what that means in this scenario would be paying attention to your, inner dialogue or your self-talk, which sounds easy, but is something that I don't think, like I used to not do this. Like I would just think that my thoughts and feelings were facts. But when you really Mm -hmm. take a moment to kind of sit with something that you're spiraling into, then like that moment when you can question it, I think is very important. Yeah. I actually, I totally feel like I wasn't very good at that. Like I was in the habit of believing those things as factual information. And my friend Riley always does this thing where like she has sort of a check of like, has has anyone told you this? Like, have you heard this multiple times? Who is telling you this? Like oh, when you start one. to actually like, and I'm sure she has many more that are like, I, she continues to ask them, but she's done it to me before where she's like, who told you this? Like, do you trust this person? Yeah. How many times have you heard this? Like to try to actually get you to go like, oh, 
this doesn't make this a fact because it exists in my head Mm -hmm. and I'm hearing myself say it does not then turn this into factual information that I need to then deal with. Like you're jumping from like A to Z without going, hey, actually why? And then even if it is something that like someone said to you or something that's happened, our ability to turn that into so much more happens so quickly because we're not stopping to go like, okay, like, is this rooted in an actual factual happening or like, am I just sort of catastrophizing something? Yeah, totally. So yeah, ties right back in again. So, <laughs> um, it's like we planned it or something. I know. And, and we don't, we should. <laughs> <laughs> we, it seems like we are, which makes it very professional. <laughs> I love that. Um, so Uh, The article was saying, basically, identify where your narrative diverges from reality. So that's kind of what you were just saying of like, who has said this to you before? Yeah. How many times have you heard this? Like, I feel like there have been times in the past where someone has said something to me once and I'm like, oh, that Mm -hmm. is fact. And that's also black and white thinking, which is another um, cognitive Mm -hmm. distortion where it's like this is Mm. either true or it's not true. Like tying it back to my work again. mean never doing enough or not being enough I just like it's something that I I can't seem to shake so something I've started doing is whenever I get like positive feedback I'll (laughs) this is so embarrassing (laughs) I'll like save it so then if I'm like feeling down on myself I can go back in and be like okay all of these things have been said like I have I don't have anything to back up what I'm thinking Mm. which is always a funny a funny little check-in it's like okay so this is just me being mean to myself um what if the alternative is true and they actually just mean it they actually just are like they just mean the things that they're saying so yeah I think that that's a good habit I feel like we've been doing that sort of like unintentionally with educated messes by like because we'll get individual messages about episodes and things like that and share them to each other so now I do have a lot of screenshots of it and I feel like there's times like between the time we record and the time we put it on the internet where I'm like, (laughs) oh, I said that. (laughs) Or like, I wish I would have said that differently. Or like, I can start to, I'll only listen to it once because I'm like, I just need to make sure Kyla's editing. She didn't like miss a giant (laughs) gap where we talk about something, which she never does, but I do listen to it once. And then I'm like, that's it. Because the second I start listening to it more, I remember like when we were listening to one of them, I think it might have been the first one and I I finished listening to the recording and uh, Ben was like, so how is it? And I swear my reaction, like the first thing that came out of my mouth, I was like, I just kind of feel like I talked too much. (laughs) And he was like, what? It's a podcast. You just (laughs) sat there and spoke. That is the whole point. (laughs) My inner critic was so loud that it was like, you should stop talking so much in this uh, medium where the whole point is to talk. <laughs> I know. It's and so, so funny. it is really funny. But I think my point there is just like between the time we record it and the time we release it, well, I'll have these moments of like extreme doubt where I'm like, ah, I wish I kind of had said that differently or I wish I'd, I don't know, whatever it was. And having people reach out and like share sweet messages or just even Mm -hmm. saying like, Oh, I, we were chatting about this in the car or this really resonated with me, or this is what's happening with me. 
it's sort of just like reaffirming in that like the point isn't to do it perfectly. It's just to yeah. do it. And it's really helpful to have that feedback because my inner critic is going like, oh, this is garbage. And then to be like, that's not factual information. You're just being like ridiculous mm-hmm. to have something to look at that just goes like, actually, at the very least, like people are finding it relatable to me is enough for me to like want to keep going then. Oh, yeah. I I was just saying to some friends the other day that like, even hearing that, like, one person felt seen by listening to this, like, yeah. I could cry. Like, that makes it all <laughs> worth it. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, and this is kind of getting to the end of what I was looking into, and I think mm-hmm. that'll actually be a perfect time, um, is how to overcome these limiting beliefs. So, yeah, reframing, which I kind of mentioned before, can be a really powerful tool in managing this type of thought. Um, thought pattern rather. And something I also found interesting, which maybe I should have mentioned a little bit earlier, but still fits in, is that... Did you find it interesting? I found it pretty interesting. I think that that might be the first time you've said it. No, I think I said it before. I kind of, It's like a little... I have a little like tally in my head now. <laughs> <laughs> I've ruined the word interesting for both of us. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> but that these... So all cognitive distortions, um, but these as an example... Um, will precede anxiety and depression a lot of the time. So Mm. I know that personally, like I will sometimes get anxious or depressed and won't know why. But if I had been paying attention, I think that I could probably notice the moment where I started going into those patterns and often they are overgeneralizations. Um, So yeah, that's something that uh, it takes a bit of practice to get ahead of that but maybe if you're kind of in a period of high anxiety or depression maybe just thinking okay like what was happening just before this um that's basically step one it seems like a common thread kind of when it comes to like tips and tricks around uh dealing with anxiety in the moment is like coming back to facts yeah. kind of like going because I've seen a lot of like and I've heard a lot of um, um like what can you see? Mm-hmm. What can you touch? Like, what do you feel? Like, what do you smell? Like, coming back to like factual, like what's right in front of me, as opposed to like what's going on in my head. And it's interesting too that with a limiting belief, if you or if you're having like an anxious thought that's sort of spiraling and it's an overgeneralization, the ability and sort of like the tool my friend Riley was sharing with me of going, okay, where is this coming from? is this based in fact, like sort of just picking away at it until you're like this big thought actually like isn't that big. It's made up of a bunch of little things that aren't true or whatever it is, is a good way of like coming back to a more peaceful Mm -hmm. headspace. It's just, it's so interesting how so much of anxiety it seems is related to thoughts that almost like get away from us. That's why mindfulness is so helpful is basically all of it is – I know. I know. How many times can I bring it up? Get it. I'm never going to stop. <laughs> You're just trying to get a Headspace sponsorship right I now. should. It's I'm so a power obvious. user. <laughs> You're just trying to tag Headspace in Please this podcast. sponsor me. No, but <laughs> – <laughs> the whole point is being present because, yes, when your brain starts yes. like taking control, our brains have not had enough time to keep up to the advancements in society. So we're constantly overstimulated. Mm-hmm. Everything's overwhelming. So you have to stay as yeah. present as you can, um, which 
Everything is overwhelming. Everything's overwhelming all the time. I think that's just like the cliff notes of 2020. Uh, This is actually a good thing to do like as a journaling exercise. Um, It kind of helps you be more mindful and solidify um, the thoughts that you're having. So if you're noticing these patterns, just like write them down, jot them down. I'll just use like a note in my phone. Um, And then once you start writing them down, so that would be like if you're having a, a thought spiral pattern just write down like what that's about Mm -hmm. and you might start noticing patterns which could help you uncover your limiting beliefs and then what do I do so like for me if I have one and I start to write it down and I'm like oh this Mm -hmm. is a trend am I then and maybe there's therapy involved too or like whatever it is but is there ways to then start to reframe it is it about just like sort of saying the opposite thing to myself like is it about affirmation or is it more than that I'm so happy you asked no oh my god (laughs) so step two (laughs) um yeah this is actually really similar to what your friend was saying um take a closer look at what you have written down and ask yourself is this true um, challenge those thoughts as you review them and then ask yourself, would someone else view this the same way? So this is something I often do, like the check-in where it's like, would I say this to a friend or would a friend say this to me? Um, sometimes I find that making it a little more right. concrete helps. You do that to me all the time. Oh yeah, I do. You say, you say, what advice would you give yourself right now? Or what would you say to me if I said this to you, and I'm like, well, <laughs> Kyla. It works, I feel. <laughs> it does work. It is, I gotta say, it was so funny. You were sending me messages like that the other day when I was having a bit of a moment. And at the end of it, you were kind of just like, also like, if you want to just vent, that's cool too. And it's so funny because literally as she was sending me texts being like, if I was saying this to you, what would you say? And like, it sounds like this. Like, tell me more. I was like, in the moment, I was like, Kyla, I'm actually going to hurt you if you keep asking me these questions. And you were like, and I kept answering them. I was like, Kate, just try like responding, like answer the question she has. But I swear I, it was like a practice in patience where I wanted to just be like, I actually just want to be irrational I know, I right now. And it was so funny, I know. But at the end of it, I was, it wasn't that obvious, my like very <laughs> muted responses. Um, at the end of it, I was like, oh, God damn, because I felt better. And I felt way better than I would have had I just been like bitching about something without any sort of like guidance or or like clear intention. But it's just was really funny to me that in the moment I was actually annoyed <laughs> by it. And then at the end, feeling like noticeably relieved and then also <laughs> just being annoyed at the fact that it worked. I was so set against it. And then I was like, oh, I actually feel better now. <laughs> so step three and the final step of this exercise is um, exactly what you were saying. Basically, you reframe or replace your thoughts. So and this honestly in the moment feels so stupid and I do this all the time, but when, yeah, when you're thinking about a, like a negative thought, just use self. Are you about to hit us? Uh, I'm going to hit us with a mantra, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess, yeah, like related to my work, if I am like stressed that I'm not like working hard enough, I'll have it in my head that it's like, you should be working, you should be working, you're not doing enough, like you're not doing enough. And then to myself, me to me, I'll just say, you're doing enough. <laughs> And it always feels so, so like, 
not effective in the moment but then the more you do that the more you do that like it just it just starts to rewire your brain I don't know it it seems to be working but yeah just like talk to yourself like you're talking to somebody that you love I think self-compassion is really important kind of makes sense though because it's like in the same way that your thoughts can spiral in a bad way you can also sort of like spiral them in a good way so like the repetitive nature of anxiety just being like the same thought or the same set of thoughts again and again and again and that makes Mm -hmm. it feel overwhelming it's like you can almost like overwhelm yourself with the positive affirmations of just like that using that same exactly and I think like it's I I feel myself not believing my there's a lot of conversations going on in my head (laughs) but I can like feel myself resisting the positive thought and at that point, sometimes I'm like, okay, like, what if the opposite was true? Like, what if they really mean the positive feedback? Like, what if you are doing enough? Like, what what if, you know? Yeah. Or even, like, what if you, like, did a little bit less than normal today? This is kind of just, like, our, our productivity one. But, like, what if? Is the world going to end? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah. It's also, like, funny because I remember in the first episode – the or the intro episode it was you asked me a um icebreaker question about like what I wish I learned a long time ago or something like that Hmm. and it was about listening to myself and it's so funny because the entire premise of this is like sort of to stop a little bit or like to Mm. you know what I mean like because some of this like if I'm listening to myself and my opinion of things I'm doing sometimes it's also like stop doing that you know what I mean it like almost makes it an oxymoron where it's like, listen to yourself, but when you start to be like a huge like <laughs> asshole to yourself, then also stop and reframe that and then like speak yeah, to yourself. I think the key is like pay attention and, and to what you're thinking about yourself. And yeah, we need a fact check in our brains. Exactly. <laughs> we need a fact check in our brains. And know that, yeah, I think something really important that I always remind myself and, um, helps a lot is that your your feelings are not facts I already said this your thoughts are not facts and if you're feeling super anxious just like buddy why are you so anxious today like what's going on like just have that conversation with yourself in your head it might feel stupid no one else knows you're doing it and it helps no have it out loud have it out loud (laughs) have it out loud in a crowded room (laughs) those don't exist anymore I think it's so it's so difficult sometimes to know when you're being irrational about those thoughts. Like for me so often, I think it would be helpful when I'm like, oh, I don't know. I can have these moments where I'm like, oh, I just spent a bunch of time with people and maybe like a love language was missing or something happened where like I walk away from it, maybe feeling self-conscious about like the friendship or the relationship or something like that. And so quickly my thoughts can spiral to being like, oh, they thought it was stupid when you said this or like they thought you were being this or whatever it is. And it's so like ridiculous because when I look at it, it's like, what, where did you get that from? Mm -hmm. Like what made you believe that that's true? And even if it was like some moment where you thought that that was something that was happening, it's like, that doesn't then form their entire opinion of you. Like what it's just, we give other people so much grace. I like, I am the queen of like forgiveness Mm. and like trying to like repair things. And yet 
I'm so quick to sort of like write off things I do as like a, a general trait of my personality as opposed to being right. like, I'm so quick to then. So like, for example, even this past weekend, I was away and there was like lots of stuff going on and I was sort of like along for the ride. I wasn't the one who like planned this weekend or anything like that. And so it was like, I need to relinquish control of like the events that happen because it's like, I'm just, a, I'm tagging along, you know <laughs> what I mean? Which is a little uncomfortable for me because like, I do like to like be a planner and things mm-hmm. like that. And it was funny because then when I did little things where I was sort of like exerting maybe like my opinion or something like that, in my head, I'm like, oh, you're being a control freak right now. Uh, And it's like, oh my God, that's a bit extreme because it's when other people are saying, hey, actually, instead of this, let's do this. I'm definitely not in my head going, oh, this person is being controlling. I'm just thinking like, there's another idea of something that we could do today. But in my own head, I'm like, oh, you're being a bit like you're exerting your control and things that it shouldn't be in. You know what I mean? I feel like we might have found one of your limiting beliefs. Well, and it makes sense for me. That's kind of funny because control is such a part of being an eight. And at the beginning of this, we were thinking maybe my thing is my limiting belief is like about, oh, I, I'm not in control and I want to mm. be. But for me, I almost think my limiting belief is like I'm controlling. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like a generalization of I'm a controlling person Mm -hmm. as opposed to going like I do tend to like to have control over certain situations, but I can exercise that appropriately and know when to be easygoing. It's not black and white, which is another cognitive distortion. I think we need to do an episode on unhelpful thinking patterns because I feel like there's a lot of good because I have there's a lot of those (laughs) in your brain. No, I'm just kidding. Because I just described a whole bunch of them. (laughs) Yes and I think it's so true though like and that also is the dicey part about some of these things like Enneagrams and even like the Myers-Briggs or like the introvert extrovert all that stuff it's like if you tell yourself or you're, you're an introvert too many times like do you just start to use that as like a facet of like right. sort of being critical of the way you show up in group settings and yeah like, you know I've what I mean totally How- seen that or like I'm insecure I'm yeah. an insecure person like I, I can't right. be confident I can't wear that I can't because I, I yeah. am this way and why like that was actually and maybe we'll finish on this note because we're kind of getting to time but um one of the other articles I read which was based on the article by the Harvard professor John Sharp they were saying that just like remind yourself that you are the one writing your own story. This sounds so cheesy, but I love to end on a cheesy note. Um, (laughs) You're the one writing your own story. And if you want to be the type of person who does X, all you have to do is do that thing. That's it. Yeah. I like that. Like you can just decide that thing. As easy as it is to do that, it's just as easy to convince yourself you're a certain way when that's actually not necessary. Yeah, totally. So just tell yourself that you're yeah. that bitch and away you go. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, that's all. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Okay, time for a fact check. Episode four. Yes, I'm trying so hard not to laugh right now. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't okay. do a good job. I'll just keep this one. It's fine. It's fine. It just shows how much fun we're having. I'm so excited. I'm always so excited and I mean it every single time. Oh, um, this one I honestly thought was going to be short, but then I just started 
digging into all these psychological things that we brought up. So I'll try and keep it concise. But we talked about some interesting stuff. And also we talked about things. And then when I researched it, I'm like, this is an actual thing. And I put a name to it and then have some more science behind it. So we came up with theories that already existed. (laughs) Or we just regurgitated (laughs) stuff we heard in Psych 101 and forgot the name. But either of those theories works. I like the one where we we kind of thought these things ourselves. Where we're geniuses. Me too. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So first things first, where you refer to an article throughout the episode that you, I think, imply is written by John Sharp. Oh, no, I full on said that. Yeah. Okay. And you wanted to clear up that it's more like an article about John Sharp's work. And I'm sure we'll link that in our sources on the website. Yeah. So I I looked into it and it's based on a book he has written or like his work. So I've linked the uh, name of the book and the article in our um, show notes. And I don't know if we've ever said where people can find these, but if you go to educatedmesses.com, we include all of our sources. So if you're ever interested, we have some cool stuff in there. And little, like I put in a little worksheet last time that I talked about in one of our episodes. And this time I found another similar thing to that that I'll link as well. So also resources that like you could practice doing some of the things we talked about if you are into that kind of thing. Yeah. Enriching materials. And it's just a really cute website that my friend Kyla designed. And it's so lovely. (laughs) (laughs) So you should just go for that reason too. Um, okay. So we talk a lot about cognitive behavioral therapy. We refer to it as CBT. So I just wanted to give sort of like the definition of it. So it's a common type of talk therapy. Um, you would work with a mental health counselor, a psychotherapist or therapist in a structured way, attending a limited number of sessions. And it helps you become aware of inaccurate or negative thinking. So you can view challenging situations more clearly and respond to them in a more effective way. And so people use it like typically in combination with other therapies, but it's super helpful in treating mental health disorders like depression and PTSD or an eating disorder, but not everyone who benefits from it has a mental health condition. It can also just be a super effective tool to help someone learn how to better like navigate a stressful situation. Hmm. So that's like the Mayo Clinic definition of CBT. I feel like that was my understanding. I'm surprised or I guess don't understand the like limited part. I I wonder why it says that. Well, we don't have time for that today, Kyla. (laughs) Okay, moving on. (laughs) Don't ask questions. I don't have the answer. Doesn't matter. But CBT typically includes these four steps. So you identify troubling situations or conditions in your life. You become aware of your thoughts, emotions, and beliefs about those problems. Then you identify negative or inaccurate thinking, and then you reshape negative or inaccurate thinking. So those are like the four steps of it, typically. Okay. I feel like you probably have an order you want to go in, but just you saying that is kind of the exact order of that exercise I was talking about. Um, yeah. Go for it. Okay. So the my therapist sent me the little worksheet that I can post the photo of. I don't really know where else to find it, but... Um, it's called the daily record of dysfunctional thoughts and it's basically exactly kind of those steps you just laid out so you lay out a situation and you can kind of like journal this you note the emotions you felt during that situation you write down the automatic thoughts that accompany those emotions then you write down the cognitive distortions that are present in those thoughts so that's kind of what we had been touching on quite a bit 
then you write a rational response. So that's kind of like the reshaping of the thought. And then at the end, it says like outcome. So kind of like rate how you feel after doing the exercise. Um, so to me, that kind of sounds like the same general mm-hmm. steps of CBT overall. You don't want to hit us with an example. Is it too lengthy? Well, they have an example here. It's just kind of like a weird one. <laughs> yeah. But can you reframe it in a way that is like your personal life? Oh, Lord. You want a real example? <laughs> can you work Honestly, through Honestly, I could. And it's a kind of silly example because this is why we actually did this exercise. God, why do I keep like dishing about what I'm talking about? No one's listening. It's fine. <sighs> okay. So the it's <laughs> actually so stupid. Um <laughs> we were trying to hang up some shelves <laughs> oh my in our God. new place. <laughs> and I was like so overwhelmed by it. I could not get it. I was like really scared yeah, about you damaging the wall. me about this. Oh my god. I think yeah, it was it was not good. <laughs> so, that was the situation. So um the emotions I was feeling, I think, were, like, fear of, like, mm-hmm. fucking up the walls. Or getting and, like, in trouble, your biggest fear. That's why this came up. That's oh, why I kind of started thinking about this. So the automatic thoughts were, like, oh, I'm not going to get my damage deposit back. Mm-hmm. I, like, all of these things like that. Then the cognitive distortions, I think, were, like, jumping to conclusions. Um, there's one, like, about future telling. I'm not sure. I can't remember the exact names. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rational response that I think we talked about was like, okay, people hang stuff up all the time. You can just patch it up. Uh, <laughs> even if you lose your damage deposit, it's okay. Like you, <laughs> you'll be fine. Like you, literally just yeah. like <laughs> schooling me. Yeah. And then the outcome I think was just like, okay, I feel less scared. Um, yeah. But that's a pretty silly no, example. No. I think that's helpful though, just to like attach it to an actual life event oh my god and it was so funny because sometimes people think that like anxiety and depression have to be these like big deep things but like oh my god the like I had two full-on mental breakdowns <laughs> about these shelves so yeah you know fair. what sometimes it's not that deep sometimes it's just a shelf yeah sometimes it's just it's a, shelf. a metaphor the shelf is a metaphor yeah I'm holding up the weight of the world <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, cool. Thank you for sharing these intimate (laughs) details about your wall hangings. (laughs) Um, Okay, I also wanted to talk about the, um, like, the negative uh, thought patterns. So there's a few different ones, but I thought it would be kind of helpful to talk about them because we we list a couple. So Mm -hmm. one of them we talk about is overgeneralization. So that's, like, you always, everyone, I never – Another one would be labeling. So like making global statements based on behavior in specific situations. So you behave a certain way one time and then you label yourselves that way. Mm -hmm. Sort of like when we were talking the episode, I said, I'm a control freak. So instead of like taking a situation where I'm acting in a controlling way, I'm like giving myself a name. Mm. Emotional reasoning is basing your view of situations on the way you're feeling. So the only evidence that something bad is going to happen is that you feel like something bad is going to happen is what emotional reasoning is. Magnification and minimization is like you magnify positive attributes of other people and minimize your own positive attributes. I thought that was a really important one because I think that people do that so much. So interesting. And then shoulding and musting, your favorite thing, shoulds. So sometimes by saying I should or I must, you put unreasonable demands or pressure on yourself. There's the black and white thinking. So like you're either wrong or you're right, good or bad, that type of thing. 
catastrophizing is when we blow things way out of proportion so things become like terrible awful and dreadful <laughs> that the was holes one in the, the wall yeah totally yeah. Um, personalization is involves, uh, personalization involves blaming yourself for everything that goes wrong or could go wrong, even though maybe you're only like partly responsible. So taking a hundred percent of the blame for something, Hmm. jumping to conclusions, which is classic. Lots of people do that a lot. So like you start to like think, you know, what other people are thinking and make predictions about the future. Is that the like, is that the same as the mind reading one? Cause that's one that I do a lot. Yes, too. I think so. It says mind reading in brackets. Mm, yeah. So you like feel like, you know what someone else is thinking. Even yeah. It's like, how, how could you possibly? Exactly. Guilty. Mind reading <laughs> and predictive thinking is what, so like mm. either you're reading their mind or you're jumping into the future. Yeah. And then the last one was mental filter. So that's like you filter in and filter out. So it's sort of like tunnel vision. So you focus on only one part of the situation instead, and then you ignore the rest. Mm. And so you forget the positive parts and you typically remember like a single negative detail. But yeah. I'll put those up on the website as as well. I just thought that was helpful for me to see all the different types because some of them I'm like, oh, I'm so, so guilty of of this. Yeah, it's super helpful just to be aware of those things. Mm-hmm. It, it helps with like the noting that we were talking about to be like, mm-hmm. oh, like that's what's going on here. Yeah. To make it less scary sometimes. It also makes it seem kind of silly when you when you're like, oh, I'm I'm magnifying this to such an extreme and to like know that I'm doing that, then I can go like this is a really like silly thing. Like this isn't based in fact. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um At one point I'm describing about how one of my uh, thinking, like one of my thought patterns is that I think people are going to dupe me, like people are going to screw me over. And then I talk about how then you start to interpret like everyday events as people screwing you over. And that's confirmation bias, which is like (laughs) very much a thing. So it's like the tendency to search for, interpret, favor, and recall information that confirms or supports one's prior beliefs or values. Right. That is what I was thinking. Is that the same as negativity bias or is it slightly different? Different. Yeah. But I'm going to talk about negativity bias in a second. But confirmation bias is totally that. Like you get fixated on that and then you just start to blanket statement things into it to make it true. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's perfect example. Yeah. And so um you talk about how we remember positive or negative things three times more or something. You can quote something. <laughs> I just made up the stat. <laughs> and then you ask me to fact check immediately. So <laughs> I don't know that there's really like a certain number of times, but there's a whole bunch of um research on this. And some of the information around it is has to do with negativity bias. So um, it's the notion of that when things happen of equal intensity, things that have a more negative nature have a greater effect on our psychological state than things that are Mm -hmm. neutral or positive. So something super positive will have less of an impact on your behavior uh, than something that's equally emotional but negative. And then the things that make up negativity bias are, there's like four parts to it. There's negative potency, which is like um, the possibility of equal like magnitude of emotionality. So like negative and positive items are not equally salient. So that's kind of what we were just saying about how like a negative thing just is worse um, Mm -hmm. in our minds than a positive, even if they're at like the same level. 
Mm-hmm. And then they talk about like a steeper negative gradient. So something feels like increasingly more negative and it that is a more steep slope than something getting increasingly positive. Right. So like it says the negative, oh my God, it, it the example it uses is dental surgery. <laughs> so triggered. Dental, um, oh my God, too so real. The negative experience of impending dental surgery is perceived as increasingly more negative the closer you get to it. Um, and that that level of steepness doesn't apply to positive things. Right. So would that like, would a positive be like, okay, like I'm looking forward to a trip? Mm-hmm. So it says the positive experience of an impending party is increasingly more positive the way, like the closer you get to it, but there's a distinctly more steep slope when it comes to the negative lead up. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Is part of it. And then it talks about also negativity dominance. So just how something like if you had a whole experience and there was one negative piece of it, that negative piece dominates the positive. Mm -hmm. And then negative differentiation, which is essentially saying that like our conceptualization of negativity is more elaborate and complex than positivity. So it like takes up more space in our brains. It like goes on more pathways like cognitively it is greater than when we're experiencing something positive at like a brain level seems like not a great feature no (laughs) I definitely feel like that's something we should have tweaked just like a big bummer all the time (laughs) (laughs) just wired to like be grumpy about stuff like that seems maybe that's because like you should have to pay attention to bad things to survive. Like it know. totally is. Negative emotions generally involve more thinking, and so the information is processed more thoroughly than positive ones, and so we ruminate on unpleasant events. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. Also, makes it seem like it's really hard to be positive. So I really am impressed I mean, by people who keep that energy. Yeah, are we surprised? <laughs> like, I guess it's not. The hardest thing. <laughs> Also, apparently negativity is sort of like an attention magnet. So like when people look at a pic- like a positive photo and a negative photo, they spend way more time looking at the negative one. They blink more, which means that they're like registering it more. They um, have like their pupils like widen, their heart rate goes up. So like we're just sort of like magnetized towards these negative things, which is sort of interesting. Another brain Uh, another broken brain piece (laughs) yeah and then the last thing I'll say about this is just they talk about how it comes up in voting so it's people probably know this but people are more motivated by negative information than positive so they're more motivated to vote against someone than to like vote for someone right right which I thought was interesting too I mean yeah (laughs) I won't get political yeah but yes that's all super interesting yeah Um, yeah. And then the one thing I wanted to just elaborate a little bit more on is I talk about this exercise my friend Riley, um, told me about, and I'll put it on the website as well. Cause it's something that like you kind of have to work through like in the moment, but there are four questions that you're supposed to ask. And it's this work, um, it's called literally thework.com. Um, and it's by this woman who has done a whole bunch of research on like sort of rewriting the beliefs. And so the questions are about like discovering 
more about why you feel that way and and how you got there. And so is it true is the first one. Um, Can you absolutely know that it's true is the second one. Um, How do you react when you believe that thought? And then who would you be without that thought? So I think Mm -hmm. it actually sounds pretty similar when you talked about your example. It sounds pretty similar to those steps um, about just questioning like, is this true? Where does this come from? Um, and working through that exercise when it comes to, so like for this example, it was like, so-and-so doesn't listen to me. And then it was about you going like, is this true? And then working through that by going like, yes or no. And if you believe that, then um, can you know that's true? How do you know someone's not listening to you? Can you ever really tell if someone's listening or not? Like, am I sometimes listening even when I appear not to be? So it's sort of like questioning your beliefs to try to, I think, like almost undermine these assumptions you're making that aren't based in fact. Yeah, I like that. That does seem similar, but I, I like how it's very approachable. Yeah. The author is Katie Byron. So the process is called the work. And yeah, the main part of it is these four questions. Mm, I like Mm -hmm. it. Me too. So I'll include like a link to that as well because she has everything on her website is free and you can download these worksheets and you can literally like work through like, I think so-and-so isn't listening to me. And then you can just like from start to finish work through it and then see where you come out at the end. I just think it would be cool even to try if you're just curious about it. Yeah. Let us know if you do this exercise (laughs) (laughs) and how it goes. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And that's all my facts. Oh, wow. We did it. This was a fun one. It was very like Psych 101 vibes. Oh, I love this stuff. Sometimes I I feel like I should just like quit my job and become a therapist, but that's why we do this. (laughs) I know, but also I kind of want to do that too. Yeah, maybe someday. You want to start a clinic? I don't know if anyone should take my advice, really. (laughs) But I shouldn't say that in case I do become one one day. (laughs) Future me. I think you can give good advice and also not follow your own advice. I think. Yeah. I always assume that like therapists have it just dialed in. Yeah. I wonder if they feel like they have to have it dialed in too. Wow, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> a lot of pressure. Maybe, Maybe I, I don't, don't want to be. Do <laughs> Never, Never mind. mind. <laughs> okay, that's all. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>